Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. This series, Black Widow, we're going to wrap it up this morning, and um, it's about this thing that's inside each of us that has the potential to kill every good thing around us and every good thing that's in us. It has the potential to kill our best relationships and, and the best things at work. It's, it's, uh, we're talking about pride and I'm not talking about the pride we have in our kids or our business or our school. You know, that, that there's some kind of pride that's, that's, a, that's, that's a good thing. It's, it's not bad to have that. But I'm talking about the pride that causes you to yell at your kids when they embarrass you in public, right? Because what happens is you, you, they do something and it, you think it reflects poorly on you, so you yell at them because it's really a pride thing for you. Um, I'm talking about that thing that causes you to overcoach your kids. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever seen that guy? How many of you have ever been that guy? I've been that guy. It was a very liberating day for me the day I realized neither of my two sons was ever going to play Major League Baseball. Woo! What a relief. Then I could just let them play baseball. But uh, up until then, I had a tendency to overcoach my kids to, you know, to, if they do something in the field, you know, I would be that dad that would go, you know, like, oh my goodness, like, because what really was going on, it was a pride thing for me because I didn't want people to think that I hadn't taught my kids well or I hadn't taught them how to play ball or I didn't know that. And, and it's, that, it's that insidious, that's the word we've been using in this series, that thing that creeps, creeps in there and, and shows really what's going on underneath the surface. I'm not talking about the pride you have in work, but I am talking about the pride that you have when you see a coworker not measure up, right? Like, oh, they didn't do as good. That's awesome. They come in late. They turn in a project late. They don't get a good review. It could be any number of things. They fail on a major project, and you, you know that that means maybe that, some, that next time you get a shot at it, and you're over there, you know, kind of like, oh, I hope they don't do very well. I'm talking about that kind of pride. The pride that makes you want to see somebody else fail because it makes you feel better about yourself. Now, we know that that happens, and we know that that happens for all of us, but we don't like to talk about it, right? We've all felt that way. But, but we don't like talking about it. it. It isn't the pride that you have in your husband or your wife, but it is the pride that makes you not apologize when you know you should. It's the pride that says, you know, I really should say something and make this right, but, but you don't. We said in week one, it's a pride that shuts you in and it shuts others and God out. Because when we are filled with pride, there is no room for anybody else in the room, not even God. Last week, we talked about the three Ps. I, I talked to the three P people. I said, you've got a little bit of power, a little bit of prestige, and a, little, you know, a few possessions. And, and I argued that, that I don't care who you are, I don't care how little you think you have, there's probably at least three billion people in the world that would look at you and say, you know what, they've got it going on. They've got way more than I do. And last week, we discovered this verse, which is a verse, when we focus on it, it helps us to keep our pride, this black widow thing in our life. It helps us to keep it in check. It comes from Daniel, and I had you read this with me last week. It says, the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Now that one idea, when you put it in context, says, wait a minute, anything that I have, I have because my heavenly father has given it to me. I shouldn't be puffed up. I shouldn't be proud over anything. 
I have no reason to, to think that I'm somebody because I've got this or I can do this or I know these people. All this stuff comes from heaven. So today, I want to talk to all of us who have an appetite for known. You want to be known by somebody. Um, you want to be known for something. And, and you, want, you want to be, you know, we all want to be known for something. We all have an audience in mind when we get dressed, and I'm not suggesting that, when, ladies, when you get, you're putting on your makeup and your hair and everything, I'm not suggesting you're going out and targeting an affair. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying that as you do all that, you're doing it for an audience. Guys, us too. When we put our clothes on and we look at something and we go, well, if I wear that with these pants, that's not going to look very good and I don't want to look bad, there's somebody in mind that you don't want to look bad in front of. And I'm not suggesting that it's some, you know, horrible, poor motive thing. I'm just saying that when we, when we get ourselves together, we, we've got an audience in mind. We have an audience in mind at work. We have an audience in our neighborhood. We have an audience at school. There's somebody that we're thinking about, and we don't want to look bad in front of them. We all want to be known for something, and we want to be known by somebody. To put it a way that the kids will understand, we all want to be friended, followed, liked, and mentioned. That's what we want, right? There are some people who simply cannot get enough friends, follows, likes, or mentions. And the truth is nobody really cares, but there's something in us, and especially on social media, where those things become really, really important. In fact, there are some people on social media, there's a lot of pictures out there of them, but I'm not sure when was the last time somebody actually took a picture of them, because they're constantly doing this, right? It's selfies. All their pictures are selfies. I, you know, some of them, you look at them, you're like, does anybody ever take a picture of them, or do they just take all their own pictures? So now, as I have talked about all that, there's a segment of people in here right now this morning, and they can't relate to anything that I just said, right? They're like, follows and likes and mentions, Brett, what on earth are you talking about? Okay, so for all the adults in the room, let me put it another way. We want to be recognized, admired, sought after, and envied, right? That's all of us. That, that's why you bought that car. That's why you wash that car and keep it as clean as you do. That's why before you go out to dinner, you, you look at your husband and you say, honey, come here, that doesn't match. And you don't say this next part. You're thinking it, but you don't say the next part. I don't care if when, we, if when you go out by yourself, you look like an idiot, but you're going out with me, and I don't want you to look like an idiot, right? And again, we don't say this out loud, but we think, I want people to envy me, not pity me, right? I want people to envy me. On the other side of that, men, we know, you know, we're getting ready to go out and we have that thought in our heads, you know, she's wearing that and it really doesn't look all that good. But we've learned that if she's already got it on, just lock it up. Just lock it up. Um, you don't want to say anything. Unless it's like really, unless it's the kind of thing, like you don't want toilet paper on your shoe or something like that. You'll get in trouble for that, right? Like she'll smack you for that one. Um, there's something in all of us. We want people on some level we want people to envy us, and, and often our self-esteem is driven by how others see us, and it's driven by how other people behave around us. And, and it doesn't take long before the drive to be known, the drive to be recognized, to be acknowledged, gets us in trouble. And it's a very subtle thing, but it can, it, it can begin 
to shut us in and it can keep God and other people out. So what I'm trying to say is there's a little bit of Taylor Swift in all of us, right? We all like an audience. Uh, there's a, a, a preacher, an old time preacher. This guy lived in the 1700s and I discovered him when I was a, 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 a ministry student. I ran across a book that a friend of his had compiled a bunch of his letters and sermons and um, it's a book called Memoirs by McShane, Memoirs of McShane. And uh, his best friend uh, put this, compiled this thing, and I've got a copy in my office. And uh, he was 28 years, I think he was 28 when he died. He was in late 20s. He was a preacher, late 1700s. And they say he just preached himself to death. Literally, that's all he did. He just preached all the time. He constantly was in pursuit of Jesus, constantly telling people about Jesus, traveled and preached, traveled and preached, wrote letters, encouraged people. And he's got a couple of quotes. I, I've used this one earlier in the, in the series. I want to give it to you again. The lust of praise has ever been my most besetting sin. Boy, that's me. The lust of praise has ever been my most besetting sin. Here's another one. You think this dude didn't walk with God? Now check this out. I must be made willing to be forgotten. How many of us can say that? We come by this honestly. Now, let me tell you where it all started. It started when we were children, and it all started with this particular statement. Daddy, watch. Daddy, watch. How about this, ladies? Mom, 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 mom. Have you heard that? You ever want to just smack them when they do that? And they, they do whatever it is they want you to see them do. And then they do it again. And then they do it again. And it's not different. They're not adding a twirl to it or a spinny's thing or a somersault. It's the same. The 25th time looks the same as the first time. We are born into a world with a built-in audience. It's usually our moms and dads who very seldom take their eyes off of us because we won't let them. And moms, I love you. You do so much for us. You're vitally important, Mom. We wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for you. Our clothes wouldn't match. We wouldn't have anything to eat. There'd be no shoes on our feet. We'd be snot running down our face. It, there, there's no, everything good comes from Mom. We know that. But I'm just, I, I, this is really the truth. The primary audience for most of us, the, the attention that we really crave is that of Dad. Right? Can't explain it. Moms do everything. But we want Dad's attention. We want dad's attention. We can never seem to get enough applause from our fathers. And, you know, it's easy to get messed up from that. The, listen, I, I can tell you, I remember two things about my dad. I remember the first time I ever heard him say he loved me, that I remember that my dad said he loved me, and I was a grown man when he said it. I can tell you the time when he looked at me, he's only said it one time in my life. The one time he looked at me, looked me right in the eye and told me he was proud of me. I can tell you exactly where I was standing. I can tell you the city I was in. I could take you to the exact square in the room. I could tell you what I had on that morning. I could tell you where he was sitting and what his posture was. I could reenact it for you because in my mind, that is a moment frozen in time when my dad looked at me one time in my life. And he said, son, I'm really proud of you. It's important to us. Many times we go off the rails later in life because we never got the approval that we craved 
from the people who were most important to us, and oftentimes that is our fathers. And, and, and you get this. Look, if you've had kids, you, you understand. You've had this experience. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. And we would never do this. But aren't you tempted after about the 23rd time of the same thing with no spin and no extra rotation or no extra flourish on the end of it to draw them over and say, honey, listen, it's the same every time. I've seen it, okay? I've seen it. it was the, it's the same on the 23rd time than it was on the first time I've seen it. And then we grow up. And it's a coach or it's a teacher. It's a friend. It's a boy or a girl. And now we're adults and we have a different audience. There's a different group. And we live for their applause. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your wife. And you're still trying to win their affection or their approval. Maybe it's your boss. For some of you, you're in this, you have this drive for the approval of your children, and it will haunt you later, but for now, you just cannot get enough of their approval, and you drive them crazy because you are trying to wring approval out of your kids, because all of us, to some extent, live for the applause of somebody. And it's natural. It's normal. I'm not saying you're weird because you want that. I can say that it's something that we all have because it's something that comes very naturally to us. And here's why. Because it is an appetite for known, and this is true of all appetites. There are three things that are true of all appetites. If you feed it, it grows. It is never finally satisfied. It is never fully or finally satisfied. You just, you know, it's the nature of an appetite. And this is why, because the more friends, fans, and followers you have, the more friends, fans, and followers, what? You want. It's a, it's a bucket that never gets full. You'll never have too many followers or fans, and you'll never say, I really don't want to be recognized. <laughs> you will never say, I, it's not necessary that you thank me. You know, I mean, we say it, we say it, but on the inside, it's like, thank me. You don't have to thank me, thank me, right? Because we, we want, you know, I heard somebody say one time, nothing is as precious to anyone as the sound of their own name. That's really the truth. No one ever says, I don't like to see my name in print. Nobody ever says, I don't, I don't you know, need my hard work to be recognized. I don't feel like anybody needs to thank me. No, it's in you to be recognized, to be known. It's in me to be recognized and to be known. But here's the tension. There is no amount of known that will satisfy your appetite to be known for the thing you have determined you want to be known for. That's a mouthful, isn't it? There is no amount of known that will satisfy your appetite to be known for the thing that you have determined you want to be known for. It's a bottomless pit, and it is never finally and fully satisfied. Whatever you want to be known for, at home, at work, parent, culture, school, there's no amount of known that's going to fill up that bucket once and for all, which means that because it is an appetite, we are on a quest for more recognition, maybe not in every area of our life, but in a couple of areas of our life. We are constantly on a quest to get more and more recognition in those areas. And oftentimes, it's, it's a matter of where our self-esteem comes from. Now, Dee Dee was in first service, and my wife, Dee Dee, is such a, a, an encourager to me. She really is. She 
God love her. <laughs> She's got a tough row to hoe now uh, to be married to me. But she really does encourage me. And she isn't always in... Uh, service to hear me preach because she's got a lot of ministries around the church and sometimes they take her out of the room in both services and so she doesn't always get to hear me preach but I'm you know you probably understand this when I walk out here one of the first things I do is I locate her I try to locate her try to know where she is now once in a while she'll be in here and I don't I don't think she's in here and uh, you know I'll be honest with you it changes things for me a little bit when I know she's in the room and when she's not um but I'll try to locate her so I know, when she, I know when she's heard a sermon, sometimes she hasn't heard one. But, but whenever she's in here to hear a sermon, when I get home, she says things like, Brett, that was really good today. You, you did a really good job today. You, you know, that, I'd, I'd never heard that story or I can't believe, I can't, you know, you, I've known you for a long time. I've never heard you talk about that particular story. I didn't know you felt that way or or, you know, Brett, you spoke with such conviction. Or, you know, Brett, that point you made, that was such a powerful point. Or sometimes she'll say, you know, I'd never thought about it like that. That really helped me. And on the outside, I'm cool, right? I'm cool. Yeah. That is not, no big deal. On the inside, I'm like, woohoo! You know, victory lap. I'm spiking balls and spinning things and, you know, doing my little touchdown dance. On the inside, on the outside, I'm all buttoned down. I'm cool. I got it. But then there are those times that she forgets. And I located her, and I know she was in there. And I come home, and I'll wait. And, and one of two things has happened. Either, either I was just awesome, and she hasn't acknowledged it, which is not likely. Or, more likely, she's thinking, really wasn't that good today. <laughs> and I just don't want to bring it up, right? I just don't want to talk about it. But I'm, I'm, you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, I'm like a little puppy dog. <laughs> Was it good? Was I awesome today? Because that's the way we are, right? That's the, I mean, that's, it's not just me. It would be you too if you had this job. It's just the way we are. And deep down, I know it doesn't matter. All is well. You know, somebody would say, Brett, what are you worried about? I mean, the people that hear you preach on a Sunday morning, numbers in the hundreds. So why do you get all worked up about that? Why is that such a big deal to you? But you know what? Deep down, I want her to think I'm great. I want her to really be proud of me. She's my audience. We have something like that in all of us. We have an appetite for known, and it is powerful, which makes it dangerous, and it makes, makes it have the potential for things to become weird in your world. It has the power to undermine your authority. It has the power to undermine your potential, and that's why this is such a big deal. It is this insidious way that the black widow of pride can poison our lives and our relationships because it is an appetite to be known, to be recognized, and to be respected. So today, we're going to get some help from a very famous Bible character. He's going to come to our rescue, and his name is John the Baptist. Now, before I get started, I want to play a little game with you. It's not really a game. It's just an audience participation thing, and it's simple. If the answer is yes, I just need you to raise your hand. And I need everybody to participate. You'll understand why in a minute, okay? If you've ever heard of John the Baptist before I just said his name, if you, prior to today, if you'd ever heard of John the Baptist, raise your hand. Look at that. 
Okay. My point is, John the Baptist is really, really well known. Here's my next question. 2,020 years from today, you think anybody's going to be talking about you in a sermon? 200 years? Anybody talking about you in a sermon? 20 years. 20 months. Anybody talking about you in a sermon in 20 months? Me either. So what we're here to learn about is, is not how to not be known. That's not my goal, is to get you to a place where you walk out of here and go, man, I'm not, I'm not trying to be known. That's not the goal this morning. My goal this morning is I, do, I, want, I don't want you to undermine, I'm not here to undermine your known. What we're here to learn from John the Baptist is how to handle it, how to manage it, how to, how to take that thing that's in all of us and how, because we've all got some, we've got an audience somewhere, how to take that audience and, and use it so that it serves us well and it doesn't take over our life, but we use it the right way for the right purposes. Here's how it begins. And let me just say, several gospel writers give us this information about John the Baptist. I'm going to be basically in two uh, places today. I'm going to start in Mark, and then I'm going to move over to John. I'm going to put it all on the wall for you today. I'm going to start in Mark chapter 4. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1, verse 4, if you want to follow along. And then I'm going to go to, uh, to John, the first chapter. Okay, so if you want to get, get that ready. And Mark chapter 1, verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance. And he's, he's preaching about baptism. He's baptizing people. Actually, John the Baptist is the first person that we come across in history who actually was baptizing people. Up until that time, you know, if you were, were in any way baptized or had some kind of ceremonial thing like that, you, you basically did it yourself. You got in the water and you, you dipped yourself in the water. In fact, if you, wanted, if you weren't Jewish and you were going to go through the process of becoming uh, Jewish, one of the things that you would do is you would, you would get in what they called a mikvah and you would, you would dip yourself. It was part of a ceremony to become, uh, to become uh, Jewish. Um, but no one else that we know of in history ever baptizes another person before we come upon John the Baptist, who is baptizing people. It says he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then this next statement is huge. This is a statement that if you were reading this in your Bible uh, at your house, you probably read this and blow right by it. Okay? And so I want to show you how sometimes we get in a hurry and we miss really important things. This is a, way, a place where you can see that. Look at verse 5. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. That's a lot of people. That's a big deal. Even if this is literary hyperbole. You know, sometimes we use hyperbole. We'll, we'll talk about, um, we, you know, we were at this event and there were thousands of people there. Now, when I say we were at a, if I said I was at someone's house and we were at a party and there were thousands of people there, do you think that that's real? Do you think there were thousands of people there? No, no. I'm exaggerating, right? We do that all the time. Um, I don't know why, but one of my favorite numbers to pull out when I'm using numbers like that is 40 million. I don't know why that's my number, but that's my number. Like, there were 40 million people there. And everybody's like, Brett, 40 million. I mean, come on. So even if, John, even if uh, Mark is using hyperbole, um, it's still probably thousands and thousands of people. 
who, who are making their way out to see this guy named John the Baptist. And if everybody from Jerusalem went to see him, you would have to get up before the sun rises. You would travel all day. You would bed yourself down that night. You would get up. You would go listen to John the Baptist speak. And then the following day, you would travel back to Jerusalem, up this big hill, and you would spend, it was an investment of time, okay? You, you, you didn't just, you know, we're just going to run out and hear John the Baptist. No, this was, you were committed. This, this was something you took some time to do. This was not some casual thing. This was a three-day investment to see John the Baptist. And the gospel writers tell us that everybody in Jerusalem went. The whole Judean countryside went to hear John. Thousands and thousands of people. So much so that the people started thinking, this must be the Messiah. I mean, this guy's got the juice. Something's going on with him. We haven't seen this much energy around a person in a long, long time. There's got to be something special about this guy. John is very well known. So we get to John chapter 1, verse 15, and it says this. John testified concerning him, talking about Jesus. This is the one I spoke about when I said... He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now you think my preaching's confusing, right? Get a load of that. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John says, the one who's coming after me, you haven't seen him yet, but he's greater than me because he actually existed before me. And he's talking about Jesus, verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. So people are coming from Jerusalem to ask him what this is all about. And what they really want to know, but they really don't want to ask him, they really want to know, are you really the Messiah? I mean, we've been waiting a long time for somebody to show up and help us with this Roman thing. And people are thinking that there's a revolution afoot because you're really starting to, there's a lot of people starting to, come around you and we're starting to think something could be happening because of you. Are you the Messiah? And before they can even ask, he answers the question, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? What do you say about yourself? You're not Elijah. You're not prophet. You've got this great big crowd. Who in the world are you? Now, this is John's big moment, okay? This is when he gets to say, I'm John the Baptist. I'm a rock star. You know, I'm a big deal. All eyes are on you. This is a really big moment. Who are you? Here is how John answers the question, and he actually quotes from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Who are you, John? I'm a sign. I'm a road sign. I'm here coming before the one that you really need to pay attention to. I've attracted all this attention to me so that I can point them to him. I have all this knownness so that I can make him known. I've drawn this crowd so that I can make Christ famous, the one who has surpassed me. Verse 24, now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him why then do you baptize if you are not the messiah nor elijah nor a prophet i baptize with water john replied but among you stands one you do not know he is the one who comes after me the straps of whose sandals i am not worthy to untie meaning i'm not even worthy to serve him 
Like, I, I'm so beneath him, I'm not even, it's not, I'm not worthy. You, you see this big crowd I've drawn? People are coming all over the place, and they're camping out, and they're listening to me speak, and they're watching me do stuff. You, you guys think I'm something. You wait till the real deal gets here. You, you wait till he shows up. Now, little known fact, I, I, first of all, a well-known fact, I think everybody knows that I like music a lot. I can't play a lick. I can play a radio pretty good but I, I would give anything to be a musician. I think God knew what he was doing when he didn't let me be a musician because I don't think I'd be a preacher. And I'd wonder sometimes if I would actually be playing on a Sunday morning. So do with that what you want. But I love music. But little known fact, you may not know who my favorite band is, and some of you are going to go, who in the world is that? And some of you are going to be shocked when I tell you. But my favorite band is the band Counting Crows. Any Counting Crows fans in the room? Yeah. Love Counting Crows. I love them. I love them. They, they, they need Jesus badly. Um, <laughs> badly need Jesus. But there's just something about their music that, that I like. Half the time I don't know what they're talking about, but, but uh, I really like their music. There's just, and there's a lot of reasons why, and I could go into that if you wanted me to, but I just, I like them. So I've had the opportunity in the last three years to see them a couple of times um, over at the, it changes names, but I think right now it's the Ruoff Center, Right. And so the first time I went over there to see Counting Crows, um, it, it, it went the way you would normally expect it to go. They don't just come out on stage and start playing. What do you got to go through first? The warm-up band, right? Bunch of yahoos from Indianapolis I'd never heard of. Now, granted, great musicians. So I have respect for the talent. But I never heard of these guys. And I'm there to hear the Counting Crows. So, you know, I'm looking at my watch like, that was a good song. Okay, let's get Counting Crows out here. No, we got four more. Four more? Come on, I want the headliner. When's the headliner going to show up? And John says, that's me. I'm the warm-up band. I'm the warm-up band. The guy, the guy you really want to see, the one who's going to headline this whole thing, the one that's really important, the rock star, that's Jesus. Verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look. That's what everybody's here to see. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The reason I'm so well-known is so that I can point you to that guy over there. That's really the reason I've got all this notoriety. The next day, something else happens. Verse 35, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. See, like Jesus, John had some people following him. He had a couple of guys that kind of were going around with him, kind of the way Jesus did. And he had some guys that were listening to him every day and kind of served him and took care of him and was friends with him, and, you know, they were... And, you know, let's not fool ourselves here at all. They probably liked that they were getting a little attention. Do you hang out with him? I was... <laughs> um, some of you will remember a guy named Kevin Galloway who used to come over and sing for us when we first got started with a new format of, you know, contemporary music and everything. Kevin Galloway would come lead worship for us and kind of teach us how to, how to do this. And, and Kevin, um, about a year ago, got, was, was killed in a car accident. We lost him at a very young age, but I'll never forget, I, I was friends with Kevin, and I went over to Bloomington to watch him do a, a, a worship set one time with these, these um, college kids on, on IU's campus, and I was carrying in gear, right, like I, Kevin's carrying in gear, and Mike was carrying in gear, and I've got gear, and they, these, these kids, like when you're in, in college, it's like, man, they're important, they're cool, I want to be, I want to talk to the worship leaders, right? 
And it was really funny because they were talking to me like I was one of the worship leaders. Like they thought I was somebody. I'm like, no, dude, I'm just carrying stuff. That's all I am. I'm just the guy that carries stuff. Like, you know, one person said, you know, where do you guys play tomorrow? Well, I'm going to be in Terre Haute, you know, not doing anything. These guys, I don't know what, you know. But that's kind of what, that's, these guys that were following John the Baptist, that's what they had going on. They were getting some kind of trickle-down notoriety because they were hanging out with John the Baptist. So the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. John was, was with, and in, in, in verse 36, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now this is interesting. Watch this. Verse 37, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. And you know what that meant? That meant they unfollowed John. That's what that meant. You ever been perusing through your Facebook account and a friend comes to mind and you're like, I wonder what they're up to. And you go look, you know you're friends with them on Facebook and you go in and you look for them in your friends list and they're not there and they've defriended you. You ever had that happen? And you kind of step back and go, whoa, right? Nobody likes to be unfriended. Right? We don't like that. Don't unfriend me. John got unfriended. They say, John, thank you so much for making us famous. Thank you for letting us see everything we've seen. But if that's the guy that we're supposed to be following, adios, brother, we're going to go follow him. And they left John the Baptist to follow Jesus. Now, if that's me, that is going to require some next level. Me and Jesus are going to have to do some business, right? Because I'm going to have a problem. Because Brett's going to get down, and he's going to think nobody loves me. And, and, you know, if people are leaving or if they don't follow, listen, when people leave the church for whatever reason, oh, I mean, I try to act tough. I try to act like, well, I'm just here for the ones that are here. You know, I'm just, I'm just doing what I can to love the people that are here. But when somebody leaves, oh, are you kidding? It means you unfriended me. It means you unfollowed. Oh, what do you do with that? Oh, Jesus, that's a shot to the heart. And John the Baptist would look at me and go, are, are you kidding me? Seriously? I mean, that's all the spiritual maturity you've got? You, that's all you've got? Come on, dude. Come on, this isn't about you. See, this was John's posse. These are, this is his core group, and these guys are leaving to go follow Jesus. Now, we're about to see that this did not bother John the Baptist, but it did bother some of his closest disciples. They come running up to John the Baptist. They, they, they're going to check on him and see if he's okay. This comes out of John 3, 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, that's Jesus, look, he is baptizing. Translated, John, this is not good. He's baptizing. That's your gig, dude. You're John the baptizer. That's just Jesus the whatever he is. We don't even know what he is. He doesn't have a brand, but your brand is baptizing. And now he's got your gig. He's stealing your stuff. You're just going to let him get away with that. He's baptizing people. And then look at this statement. Look what they say. And everyone is going to him. To this, John replied. Okay, so if, you, if your mind has wandered, if, you, if you've been looking at your phone or whatever, I need you to lock in with me, okay? 
because this is where it gets important. This is where we got to lock in, and, and I need you to come back and listen to me for just a minute. This next statement is so big and powerful. If you're not a Christian, I don't know what you're going to do with this next statement, but it's important to you, okay? Because none of us wants to be filled with pride. None of us wants to be arrogant. So if you're not a Christian, do with this what you want, but this will help you in some way. Um, but, but if you're a Christian, you need to write this down because this is a game changer, all right? This is, you want, you want deep, you want where, do we, where does the rubber meet the road and, and how do I do this better? This is a game changer. This next statement is what will allow you to have an infinite number of followers and fans and not let it go to your head. This next statement is the same thing that when all of your followers are leaving and when people are unfriending you and it's not going well, it won't diminish you. When the new kid on the block arrives and he's incredible, when the new girl shows up at school and she's beautiful and everybody loves her and wants to be around her, the smarter one, the prettier one, the more talented one. This is the idea that prepares us for the day when, when we're not rock stars anymore and really nobody's all that anxious to be around us. This is what keeps us from grasping and clinging to and trying to hold on to something that is slipping through our fingers. John, you're losing it. You're losing it. They're leaving. They're not following you anymore. We need to get more followers. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. What? Come on, John. What, is it, what does that even mean? I mean, John, you're losing followers. You're not as popular. John, you don't have any mentions. And John says, I know. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. John's saying, look, all this knownness, all this fame, all this drawing a crowd, where do you think that came from? I know, John, but you're, no, 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 no. Everything good comes to me from my heavenly Father. Everything that's put in these hands comes from God, which means that God places it there. I didn't place it there. I didn't do anything to get it. I, my ability to control that, I have no control over any of that. God has all the control. And when God decides to take it away, I give credit to God. I don't freak out. When he gives it to me, God gets the glory. When it goes away, God, you know what you're doing. I'm just going to trust you. You're bothered by the fact that I'm losing fans and followers. I'm not. Ultimately, everything that's placed in my hands, all this knownness, it's temporary. It's a stewardship. It's a gift. And I will not for one second make the mistake of thinking that this is about me. That's what John says. He goes on. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. I've been telling you this whole time that I'm a roadmap. I've been telling you this whole time I'm a sign, just pointing to him. My fame is to make him known. I've been telling you all along. And then John makes this big statement. And if you've been going to church for quite a while, this is going to be a statement that you recognize. You may even have this memorized. I know people that have this tattooed on their body somewhere. He must become greater. I must become less. John says, now I know that bothers you. He must become greater, I must become less. That, that, that probably bothers you, but it doesn't bother me. My desire to be known does not own me. 
What this means for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus is that our, our known is a means of making him known. Whatever you're known for, however long you're known for it, by whomever you're known is a means to an end of making him known. It isn't about you. It's never been about you. I think probably every preacher, every sermon at some point, every Sunday should say that. It's not about you. And if you want to get weird in a hurry and, and hand pride the remote control of your life, just try to hang on to what you have as if you have any control of it. We are known to make our Savior known. Here's the point. To be a known survivor, to, to survive your appetite for wanting to be known, remember who it's from, remember what, who it's for. Who's it from, who's it for? Who placed knownness in my hands? Who gave me this gift? Who gave me this opportunity? Who gave me the ability to live in this country? Who, who gave me the ability to meet people and put people at ease? Who gave me the ability to, to be able to speak or to sing? Who gave me my, my beauty? Who gave me my, my ability to sell or to resell stuff or to relate? Or, or who made me so beautiful? Who gave me my personality? You had no control over any of those things. All of those things come to you from a heavenly father who says, I'm going to give that to you. And when you get to a place where you recognize that, God can do some, an amazing amount of things with the knownness in your hands when you're willing to give that away. And it won't hurt you. And it will reflect well on him. And when it begins to dissipate and when it begins to slip through your fingers and all of a sudden you're not the rock star anymore, guess what? That won't hurt either. You will say with John the Baptist, hey, everything I have ultimately comes from heaven anyway, so if he's taking it away from me, he's got a reason for it. And I just trust him. When I was, uh, when I graduated high school, you, you, I've told you about my foray into higher learning. My first experience wasn't great. It was crash and burn, pretty much. Pretty much crash and burn. Then I had a year off. So I was late going off to study to go to uh, Bible college. But um, I, I'm fuzzy on the time when, when I'm going to tell you this story. But it's, I, was, I was 18, 17, 18, 19 years old. And all through my high school experience... Um, our church, I had a great youth pastor, and one of the things that he did with us is he would, he would early, in the early days, he would just take the guys. He would take the guys from our youth group, we would get in this van, he would drive us to Grundy Mountain Mission School in Grundy, Virginia. Anybody ever heard of Grundy Mountain Mission School? Not many. It's, it's I'm telling you, it's a depressing trip into Grundy, Virginia. Um, it's coal town, it's dirty, it's, it's mountains everywhere, and you know, there's these old dirty creeks running alongside the road, and roads are dilapidated, and it, I mean, it just, it was eye-opening for us. We couldn't believe people lived like that. You see houses, you're like, really? Somebody's living in that. That's a house. Um, but we would get to this place called Mountain Mission School, and they served um, underprivileged kids, some homeless, uh, not homeless, uh, orphan kids. Uh, for whatever reason, there were a lot of kids from Washington, D.C. area, like inner city kids would they would get sent to, there was a pipeline to Mountain Mission School, and we would go, and we would play basketball against their basketball team, and we would go into the, what they called Toddler Hall, and play with the little toddlers, which was awesome. You'd walk in, and the little ones would take your coats. You know why they took your coat? They knew you weren't leaving. They would take your coat and put it on so you wouldn't leave them. 
and you want to see little 18, 19-year-old boys cry, watch a two-year-old take their coat away from them and not give it back because they want you to push them in a swing. And our, our, you know, we would just fall in love. We would go, we fell in love with Mountain Mission School. Well, this year, we're getting ready to go to Mountain Mission School. And, you know, I'd been there. I'd, I'd met President Sweeney. I had great respect for President Sweeney, who ran the school. It's a big deal. Our, our, one of our elders gave, like, over a million dollars to, to one, of the, one of the buildings on that campus is named after him. And so LD, uh, Doug comes to me one day, and he says, Brett, we're going to Mountain Mission School. Um, President Sweeney has asked me if I would ask one of our students to deliver the message on Sunday night in church. And I thought that you should do that. Oh my. I mean, my first thought is, what an honor. My second thought was, oh crap. (laughs) Oh no. Oh no. So, you know, I I did. I prepared and got myself ready and, and I went and the, the girls were with us, and LD, uh, Doug was there, and time comes. I get up, I preach this sermon. I preached about David. I'll never forget it. And, you know, after it was over, uh, I, I mean, I felt like I did okay. And after it was over, kids in the youth group were coming up saying, Brett, man, that was, that was cool. Um, Doug walked up, put his arm around me. Brett, I'm really proud of you. That was really good. But who, President Sweeney was in the audience. Who did I want to hear from? Him. I wanted to hear President Sweeney say, Brett, that was really good. He walked up, he shook my hand, looked me right in the eye. Son, that was a really good sermon. That was really good. I'm like, oh, yeah. But the best was yet to come. I get home, and LD calls me into his office. LD was my pastor. Uh, He's still alive. He's my father in the faith. Uh, If there's any one man I look up to, it's LD Campbell. He calls me into his office, and he says, Brett, I got something I want to read to you. And, And, um... I have a copy of this because LD gave me a copy, and it's no accident that I still have a copy of this, okay? This is in my ministry scrapbook, and it says this. Dear LD, Mr. Sweeney, President Sweeney had written a letter to LD. This is what it said. We had the pleasure this past weekend of of having several young people from your congregation spend the week with us and participate in our worship services. I just want to let you know what a credit these young people are, not only to Johnson Bible College, but to the First Church of Christ and its leadership and to their parents. Brett Wilson preached an absolutely marvelous sermon on Sunday evening. He reflected a maturity far beyond his years. The love for the children and staff was so evident in him, and I thought you might like to know about it. We are delighted to have these young people visit us, as well as the ball teams from Florence. It is certainly uplifting to all of us. God bless you and your work there at Florence, LD, and please let the elders and deacons, parents, and other church members know how we feel about their children, gratefully, President James Sweeney. Now, you think that doesn't mean something to me? Of everybody in the audience, who did I want an attaboy from? I was preaching to somebody special. And and that's what I'm trying to get across to you. There's one, there's an audience of one that ultimately we are doing everything for. You got to know who it's for. You got to know where it comes from. Everything you've got, you've got to be looking at God saying, God, this is for you. Ultimately, the only person I want an attaboy from is you. And so ultimately, at some point in your life, we're going to go be with Jesus. We're going to stand in front of him, every single one of us. I don't care if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to see Jesus. And on that day, 
Some of us are going to be looked at and we're going to hear these words. And I want you to be among them. I want you to be among the ones who hear the words. Say it with me. Well done. Well done. Go get them this week. Go get them. Be beautiful. Work hard. Have a posse. Have great people all around you. Be pretty. Have your group. Get your entourage. I don't care. Whatever it is. Have it all. Audience of one. Who at the end of the day, you want to look you in the eye and say, well done. Let's pray. Father, it's easy to miss this. Life just becomes so much about us. And it's really not about us. It's about you. It's about taking everything we get, returning glory. It's about taking all of our money and doing the right stuff with it. It's about taking the praise and honor, the attention, doing the right stuff with it. It's about living a life that reflects from us. We're the moon, Father, reflecting the sun. We just want to be a reflection to glorify you. And it's hard because we live in a world that's all about our glory, our greatness. Look at me. We're glorified two-year-olds, Lord. Look at me, Daddy. Look at me. So, Father, as we walk through these doors out into a world that's going to try to entice us to live for us, I pray that we would not take the bait. I pray that we would, every morning when we wake up, we would begin to look for the black widow in our life so that we can kill it and glorify you. Because to you be glory, honor, and praise, Father, and nobody else. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus.